Welcome to meet the musician Aloe Black at the Apple Store Kurfürstendamm in Berlin. Please welcome our guest moderator, Nadav Mohr. Hi, everybody. Uh, thanks for coming out tonight. Um, it's a great honor to be here and to uh, sit and talk with a good friend of mine, a wonderful musician and a great artist, uh, Mr. Alu Black. Before we get started, um, let's take a look at a video, um, the acoustic version of his newest single, Wake Me Up. And I, I didn't know I was lost 
Ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's a pleasure to introduce Mr. Abu Black. So you're back in Berlin. Uh, it's not your first time here, obviously. Um, how, how long have you been coming here for, actually? I've been coming to Berlin since 2002. Wow. Okay. And uh, other than the great weather that's here all the time, what, what is it that attracts you here, actually? Um, what attracted me here first was hip-hop. Started out as a hip-hop artist in 1995, started making music with DJ Exile as a group called Eminon, and by 2002, I was able to save up enough money and just make my way to Europe. Um, I was initially invited to to do a four-show tour around France. But um, there were some local LA hip-hop artists that were touring through Germany and other parts, and they had about 25 other dates. And one of their artists wasn't gonna go on the tour, so there was an extra seat in the, in the splitter van, <laughs> and I'm talking like a nine-seat splitter van with, with no reclining chairs. And then there was one extra bed in the, uh, on the hotels, so I asked them if I could join the tour, and they said, that's all right, but we can't pay you anything because you weren't scheduled to be in the uh, economy of this tour, <laughs> so I said, that's fine, I just need to get out there and share my music, mm -hmm. and we had, a, we had a fantastic, you know, 25 or so city tour throughout Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and the four dates that I had in France. And when I got to Berlin, there was um, an organization uh, called Subotage, which is um, run by a lady named Karen Offenwanger here in Berlin, who basically programmed all of our tour throughout Europe. And she's still doing hip hop tours to this day. And I, I consider her one of my most important uh, resources in Europe from the beginning uh, because she really helped me develop a relationship in Berlin that has actually blossomed into other relationships that have in a large in a large way supported my development in the music industry worldwide because a lot of it stems from what happens in Germany that's great I think the you know, the people here in Berlin have great taste, so I think it, <laughs> it's worked out well. Um, you mentioned you actually came from, from hip-hop, yeah. and, you know, as we just heard, you know, the, the music that you've been doing recently is not really hip-hop. So actually, how did you even get into music in the first place? My first experiences with music would be from my parents. My dad played the ukulele, <laughs> so he'd always have his little four-string ukulele. <laughs> singing his uh, Calypso songs. 
and um, he had a great record collection and a great stereo with a sign on his stereo that says, if you value your life, keep your hands off my stereo. <laughs> I eventually inherited that stereo and uh, <clears throat> did a lot of recording of, of radio shows on it. But um, in the early days, I found hip hop very soon because there were kids on my street that were break dancing. And I would look out my, my door and I'd see them dancing. This is back in the mid 80s, like 84 probably. And I wanted to go dance with them. So I would go outside and I became part of the neighborhood b-boy crew. As a little kid, they called me Little Rock. And then <clears throat> I just kept in touch with hip hop, getting as much of it as I could from the movies to the, what was on the radio. And um, eventually, I started writing my own lyrics. By age nine, I was writing my own lyrics. I had this little notepad that would flip over and, and write what I could. Um, but everything that I wrote sounded like LL Cool J. <laughs> uh, maybe because my dad bought a, he bought a LL Cool J tape early on and I would just study everything, memorize it from back to front. It's not really the best material for a nine-year-old <laughs> to be rapping about, but, uh, but it was my training grounds. And uh, a few years later, I met DJ Exile. He was in the neighborhood. He was looking for an MC to record with on his mixtape. And uh, one of my friends said, you know, I'm not really a rapper, but I know this other kid who could really do it. You should meet him. And that was the way we met at a restaurant in a parking lot after they kicked us out because <laughs> they didn't want a bunch of rowdy hip-hop kids there. And um, we started, he started beatboxing and I started freestyling and it was like perfect, a match, you know? So we went back and recorded a mixtape and then from there, just, that was probably the most important uh, meeting of my life was meeting Exile in that parking lot. And then the transition from hip hop into more of a soul, kind of more of a deeper subjects, anything from, you know, I need a dollar to you make me smile to wake me up. How did, how did that happen? How did your transformation happen from hip hop to where you are today? The transformation took a long time. Hmm. I mean, I started working with Exile in 95 and I didn't stop working with Exile until 2005. So 10 years of, of hip hop and that's in the middle of school and even from high school to university to corporate life. Um, but throughout that time, hip hop was changing. I mean, hip hop started, for me, uh, my favorite time was the 90s, the golden era, where there was so much diversity, so much creativity. Um, back then, being unique was the only way. And if you had any semblance of someone else's style, you were considered a biter. Mm. And biting wasn't a good thing. <laughs> biting is a very bad thing. Mm. You know, they say that, um, uh, what do they say about uh, uh, mimicry or flattery? You know what the saying is? Yeah, uh, imitation is imitation the highest form of flattery. Not in hip hop. Not in hip hop. You don't imitate. But nowadays it seems like that's all that's happening. Like, right. 
it makes you cool to be able to do what someone else does. Mm -hmm. That's not the way I grew up. So everything had to be completely unique. And I started to feel like hip hop was changing so much that nobody was unique anymore. Everybody was following something. And I realized that it was because of really the corporatization of, of hip hop. Um, they needed to make sure that it was predictable. They, meaning the people selling it, uh, that it was predictable so that they can know what they're selling and know how to sell it to people. And it just didn't please me. And I wanted to write different stories. I was getting interested in songwriting. I was listening to Joni Mitchell, John Lennon, Elton John, James Taylor, Cat Stevens, um, a lot of Stevie Wonder, Donny Hathaway, and Marvin Gaye. So I started feeling emotions from other music that I couldn't feel in hip hop, okay. that no one had ever made me feel in hip hop. And I wanted to be able to use words to make people feel emotions. That's when I started really focusing on alternative forms of, of hip hop or future soul and uh, trying to write different kinds of songs. Now, um, how would you, you know, maybe this is kind of difficult to say, but what is behind your music? Or maybe a different question, why do you create music? <clears throat> I have a, a, a couple of reasons why I create music. There's one reason is I can't not create music. It's really difficult to not create music. I kid you not, I'll be on an airplane, like sitting right next to somebody, or, and an idea comes to me and I feel so trapped because I just want to sing really loud because I've got this idea and if I lose it, millions of people will miss out on this opportunity <laughs> to hear this idea. <laughs> and that's no joke. That's the story of Wake Me Up. I was on an airplane coming home from, flying from Geneva to LA, and I had this concept, and I just thought to myself, I need to, I need to write this down. I need to, I'm sure I had a melody to it that was different from the one that you hear now, but at the very least, I wrote the words in my phone. Um, but sometimes I just, I turn on you know, my phone and turn on the record button. I start singing to myself on the airplane and I get strange looks at people like, what are you doing on the phone on the airplane? You're supposed to turn that off. But no, I'm not talking to nobody. I'm talking to myself. Yeah. Actually, I'm talking to the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen this. We were in the elevator and he just started singing and it was, you know, it was great, but it was, it was surprising. Um, you, you know, you mentioned Wake Me Up and, and you said the, the version we kind of all know today uh, is different than the one, you know, the original version. How do you, how did that whole thing happen? Maybe you can tell us the story of that whole um, Oh, sure, song. yeah. Um, a lot of my fans think it's, it's, it's strange that I would do a dance song, but... Um, I think so. You know, historically, historically, like, my my progression has included a whole lot of different genres. And so for me, it was no problem. When I got the phone call, see, Avicii was looking for a soul artist to sing on his album. And he asked Mike Shinoda, who he was working with in a session, if um, he knew anybody. And Mike suggested you should call Aloe Black. Like, that's, that's a soul artist to sing on your album. So he, Avicii contacted me and we went to the studio for, to record a couple of songs. One song was written by Mac Davis, who was a, a very uh, accomplished songwriter, used to write for Elvis Presley and others. And another song we just kind of wrote at the moment in the studio. 
And so that gave me a real understanding about how Avicii works and he got an understanding about how I work. And um, a couple weeks later, he was in the studio with Mike Einziger from Incubus. And Mike had come up with a nice guitar chord progression that they felt was something to build on. And um, they were supposed to uh, end their session because Avicii had a session with me to finish some other things. But Mike said, nah, just invite Allo to the studio and we'll finish this one. So I came to the studio with, with this idea in mind, like the strongest song idea that I could bring to them. I don't remember the melody I had on the airplane, but I at least wrote down the lyrics. And this is something that I think is profound enough to bring to these two guys who I feel like are respected artists in their, in their uh, particular industry and uh, genres. So I don't want to go to a studio session empty-handed. And I got to the session and I'm sitting with Mike and Avicii was like in the corner um, as Mike was on the guitar and I just told him, you know, what do you think of this? And he played the guitar and I started singing a melody to what he was playing, mm. right? Because for me, like almost any chord structure is, it's like a, a doorway to, to melody. And for some reason, I fall into that, I fall through that doorway with melodies and then the melodies suggest words. And, but this time I already had the words. Mm -hmm. So that was half the battle. And I sang to him, wake me up when it's all over, when I'm wiser and I'm older. And he said, that's great, that's fantastic. I said, um, but I'm not sure about this other line. This, uh, um, all this time I've been finding, my, I was finding myself. I didn't know I was lost. And he goes, that's, that's perfect. <laughs> like, just, yeah, put it together. That's a great, that's a great um, chorus. So I put it together and that was the basic beginning of the song. Mm. I continued to finish writing the lyrics while Mike was recording his guitar into Pro Tools. So he's there recording his guitar into Pro Tools. I'm finishing the lyrics and then all of a sudden, when he, as soon as he was done recording, I was also done with my lyrics. And so I said, perfect, let's go in the booth. I went in the booth, I recorded um, the lyrics to what he had put into Pro Tools, and I did a bunch of different takes, and Avicii was like, okay, Allo, I really like take number three, why don't you do that one again? Or I really like take number seven, there was something you did at the end, I want you to do that again. So it was, it was really a nice collaborative effort and we gave that acoustic recording to Avicii and he made a fantastic dance hit out of it. Mm. Yeah. So I always appreciated that acoustic recording because when I drove home listening to that CD before Avicii made his, his mix of it, I felt like it was a powerful song. I felt like I was, I felt like I was doing something that would make uh, my hero's smile. I felt like that. I didn't know if it would make them smile. I didn't know if it would make anybody else in the world smile. But I just, when I'm making songs, I know if I feel good, that's all that matters. So it actually wasn't your intention to make a, like a, a dance hit at first? It's not my intention to make a dance hit. It's my intention to make an amazing right. song. We can remix it any way. We can do a salsa mix. Mm. 
can do a reggae mix, which Avicii's done. <laughs> we can do uh, a broken beat mix or a house mix. Mm. And in this case, an acoustic song became a house mix. Right. And that was the vehicle for the world to become aware of, of this song. Right. Any other way, I don't know if it would have had that kind of, uh, that kind of presence, mm -hmm. you know? What does wake me up mean? I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you, what do I, what do we need to be waking up from in, and into, into what? What are we waking up to? Well, there are so many issues. <laughs> um, but for me, the most important thing is harmony. We need to be woken up to be a more harmonious um, and loving people. And I know we all feel like we are. I feel like I am. Um, but I feel like there are others who may be just a bit mistaken about how loving and harmonious they are. Um, namely, world leaders <laughs> who, uh, who are um, oppressing their people. Um, uh, in corporate leaders without compassion. I mean, there's a lot of things to be woken up about. And Wake Me Up For Me, lyrically, is about living in a dream. I feel like my life is so good that I just get to sing every day and make people happy that I don't want to be woken up from this dream. Um, but in a lot of ways, you can interpret a song in many different ways. And I chose visually to interpret it with, in my video, the struggle of immigrants in the United States specifically, but I know immigration is an issue around the world. You know, North Africans moving across the Mediterranean, Cubans moving in the Caribbean to Florida. Um, it's, it's happening everywhere. So I feel like regardless of what my interpretation is, there are many ways for us to see it. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's all about waking up to ourselves, you know, starting with yourself and then kind of taking it to your neighbor and your friend, your family, and then from there, hopefully trying to make a change. I think, is that kind of, do you want to start kind of a change or I don't want to say revolution, but do you want to affect people like that? Yeah, I mean, revolution's not a bad word. Right. But it's not necessarily the word I would use. What I would like to do is just suggest that you could be a little bit more harmonious and loving. How's, here's one way. How do we do that, Aloe? How do we be more loving and more harmonious? Well, let's say you take, you take the opportunity to choose a fair trade product from the store rather than something that doesn't have um, a fair trade symbol on it. Because you know if it's fair trade, at the very least, somebody's doing some work to identify in the supply chain that there's no slavery, that there's no um, uh, abuse, that uh, there's no uh, issues in terms of the, the way that the product was made and delivered. I think that's... I think that's one act that you can be, right. you can take to be more harmonious. Just one simple act. Mm. 
Um, but it's, it's definitely not easy. And, you know, it's, the marketplace doesn't make it easy for us to be fair to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, people think, oh, I'm just one person. I can't really do anything. What can I do? But, you know, as you just said, there's many little things that we could do. Um, you know, going back to little things, I think everyone, everyone here knows your, your previous hit or one of your previous hits, I Need a Dollar. Right. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, it's very symbolic, one dollar. What can one dollar do? Um, you know, you explained it to me back in the day. It's all about a chance. And, and what, how do you see that kind of giving people a chance maybe to wake up? Oh, man. This is, for me, music is my chance to give people um, a, a voice. So I get, it, I get a lot of um, attention from media and from radio, and I want to be able to take my voice and let people be heard. Um, you know, recently I, I went to Ghana to witness firsthand the effects of, of malaria on the population. Malaria No More UK um, gave me this opportunity to see it so that I could tell more people about how they could help uh, uh, make an effective change you know, my parents come from Panama, and in Panama in the early 1900s, uh, you know, before, before there was real progress in, in, in building an infrastructure, there was a huge problem with malaria. But, you know, after building the, the canal, in order to get the canal built, there were so many people dying that the government had to do something to stop malaria. So eventually they did, and it's about effectively changing the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So Malaria No More asked me if I could help them to um, make, build awareness. And they said in particular there was Deutsche Bank, which was giving away 750 million pounds to, 750,000 pounds, I'm sorry, to, to an organization in order for them to um, operate. And they said, all we have to do is convince the Deutsche Bank employees to vote for us and we'll win 750,000 pounds. And I thought, well, what do you need to do? They said, well, usually we just write a letter that goes to their email and then they'll vote for us. And I said, well, then that's easy. I'll just go to my piano and sing a song to them. (laughs) And it worked. They won 750,000 pounds from Deutsche Bank. Mm -hmm to operate their business to help end malaria in Ghana. That's how I am able to wake people up. Mm -hmm. That's how I get to do it. And I'm going to continue to do it in every way that I can. And that song you sang was? Wake Me Up. Wake Me Up. Kind of, I think we're getting um, closer to the end. Uh, You know, maybe there's musicians here today or, or, or watching, I think, for me, what's interesting to see your development, um, you know, you, you told us a story kind of about coincidences, like, oh, you met this guy or you went on to, do you believe in coincidences? Do you believe that we uh, are just floating out there and things happen? Or do you think that, you know, we're all kind of on some kind of path on our own direction? How mm. do you see that? I do believe that there are a lot of coincidences, mm. but, um, and, and largely because I feel like most of us aren't really marching on a specific plan. 
So we allow these coincidences to happen. And I've lived my life in this way a lot. And a lot of coincidences for some reason have been positive and, and helped me get to where I am today. Um, but there is for me in moving toward the future, a plan because I can see how, um, you know, potentially just relying on coincidences may, um, may not be the, the, uh, the most efficient way of getting to achieve my goals. One of my major goals is to achieve the Songwriters Hall of Fame. If I can do that, <laughs> I feel like I've done a lot. The other is to either match or exceed Michael Jackson's charitable giving, which means I need to sell a lot of records. And in order to sell a lot of records, I can't just let coincidences happen. I, <laughs> I got a plan. So, you know, my goal is to work at my songwriting and, and even my business, how I conduct mm -hmm. my business. So you don't feel satisfied? You're still working every day on, on kind of perfecting your skills? Or do you rely on talent? Every day, every day perfecting skills. Every day I'm, I'm working this puzzle of how do I put words together to draw emotion out of people in a way that's going to affect them um, uh, strongly so that I become not just an unnamed voice on the radio, so that I become um, a voice that is their friend that they care to hear, whether he's singing, speaking, acting, it doesn't matter that what I'm doing, that, that I become a friend of my audience and that they care about what I care about. Yeah, I think, I think that's, a, that's a cool way to, to put it, become a friend of the audience. So speaking about your plan, um, what is the plan? What's next for, for Alo Black? And next? <laughs> well, um, or what's happening right now? Yeah, what's, I mean, the, the music is out. Lift Your Spirit is the album that's available now. And um, I'm going to be auditioning soon for a film. I try to play a, the role, a small role in the James Brown story, right. which, you know, James Brown is one of my idols. And I appreciate his music, but also his business, his business savvy. And um, he really changed the, the music industry in a positive way. So I'm hoping to do the same. Mm -hmm. I, uh, you mentioned Michael Jackson. I, I came across um, a, a performance you did, I think, here in Berlin, where you performed uh, Billie Jean mm -hmm. in a very unique kind of acoustic setting. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about that for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Um, I was approached by an art conglomerate here called Made um, in, in Berlin, and they put together a fantastic um, art space where all kinds of different curated activities happen. And in this particular one, I was invited to sing with a string quintet. Um, and the music that they played was an interpretation of music from my Good Things album, songs like Dollar and Loving You's Killing Me. Um, and there was a third interpretation that happened, or a, another interpretation that happened, by an artist by the name of Jabo, who um, painted his interpretation of the string quintet's interpretation of my song. So it was just like a, a succession of inspiration. And we had a fantastic night where we performed to a, a, an audience sort of like this, mm -hmm. just acoustic with strings. And it's, it's online actually, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, it's online for everyone to see. It's a wonderful um, uh, 
presentation with Maid, um, and I think it was a, it's a fantastic moment that I had in Berlin that for me will live forever. Well, um, I think uh, I had my chance to ask what I wanted to ask him. Uh, now it's up to you guys to, uh, you know, ask him. You know, he, he doesn't bite, you know, but, you know. <laughs> I don't bite. That's yeah. a hip-hop rule. It's he a hip-hop rule. He said that before. So um, if there's any questions, please just raise your hand and uh, the guys will come over with the mic. I think back. Okay. Back. Uh, which of contemporary artists do you admire? There's a fantastic artist from Spain named Buica. If you have not heard of her, I suggest you look her up right now. You can put it in your phone as a, mem as a remembrance. Uh, B-U-I-K-A, her voice is fantastic. And she's singing in Spanish, so if you don't know Spanish, it doesn't even matter. Um, there is a fantastic artist from the US named Gregory Porter. I consider him one of the best voices in jazz and R&B right now. A great singer-songwriter from England named Michael Kiwanuka. Brilliant, brilliant. I put the, uh, these guys at the top of my list. And just a couple nights ago, I was here in Berlin. I went to a, an intimate um, performance by an artist named Fetsum, F-E-T-S-U-M. You have to hear him if you live in Berlin, and you have to hear him live and without amplification. It's the best way to hear him. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. I agree. Yep, like that. If you would be lost on an island and uh, had only five songs to choose for the rest of your life, what would it be? <laughs> right. Okay, number one, we're going to start with, um, there's a song called The Parasite by Eugene McDaniels. Eugene McDaniels was a fantastic soul singer. He was also sort of a psychedelic soul jazz artist. And he wrote very political music. The Nixon administration banned his albums from the shelves. So it was very difficult for him to become popular, but I found it and I'm going to make him as popular as possible. <laughs> that was one song. Another song would be um, the, the Donny Hathaway version of A Song For You. It's written by Leon Russell, originally performed by Leon Russell, but Donny Hathaway's version to me is the most uh, beautiful version of the song and pretty much the one that everybody around me knows. Uh, another song would be the... Uh, um, Pedro, Pedro Navarra. This is by, Pedro Nevaja, sorry. This is by Ruben Blades. He's a Panamanian salsero. He sings beautiful salsa music. And this is a song I grew up listening to. My parents played over and over and over again. And I'll never forget it. It has so many different movements and, and uh, pieces to it. Um, I would probably pick one hip hop song, and that would be from Nas and the song is The World Is Yours. Uh, my first, the first hip-hop album I purchased with my own money was a cassette by Nas, the Illmatic uh, cassette. And the last song that I would take with me would be uh, a song from my last album, Mama Hold My Hand, because this is a, a very important song to me, my relationship with my mother and my grandmother. Uh, 
At what age did you decide to become a musician? Age nine, I started playing the trumpet. I didn't want to sit in the regular class with all the other kids uh, doing music um, programming that was just kind of boring. And so I asked my mom if I could join the school band and she got me a trumpet and I started playing with the, uh, the other musicians in school. It, um, it eventually increased my knowledge about how to read music, write music, play music, and hip hop took me in a completely different direction, but I was lucky to have a real musical foundation. So in the beginning of the video, there was written that um, the song is inspired by a lot of stories. Where did you listen to these stories and why did you choose these stories and how did it inspire you? Okay. The um, in the beginning of the video, it says that the video is, the video is inspired by the stories. Um, these stories come from millions of people who are trying to find a better life in the United States. As I said before, my parents are from Panama. They left Panama to move to the U.S so they could find work, because in Panama, there was no civil rights movement. Some people don't recognize, but there are, are black folks throughout all of the Americas, and North America, the United States in particular, had a civil rights movement. But Panama didn't, Colombia did not, Venezuela did not, Brazil did not, but there are still blacks that are being affected from old mentalities, old mentalities. So it's very difficult for them to get jobs in Panama. So they moved to the US and they were able to get work. And this is what the video is about, immigration to find work. It's what immigration is generally about, trying to find a better life for your family. And that's why I think it's a really important topic because I wouldn't be here to talk to you today if the system didn't work for my parents. I'm just trying to figure out how we can keep the discussion going so the system can work for millions of other parents with the same dreams for their kids. We got time for two more, so right here. Will we ever hear you singing in Spanish? You will. As a matter of fact, if you go on iTunes, you can hear it now. <laughs> <laughs> on my la the two albums ago, Shine Through album, I did a Spanish version of John Legend's um, Ordinary People. Do you remember the song? Yeah. And there's also another Spanish song that I did from my childhood that I covered. So you definitely hear me singing in Spanish. And, and in the future as well, yes, you will. <laughs> Last one. Mm -hmm. So hearing uh, which musical career you had uh, from the styles, from trumpet over hip hop and everything, do you feel that now you've settled into your style or do you think you're still evolving into something maybe completely different in the future? Very, very nice question. I feel like I'm finally f reaching the the voice that I want to, to present for the rest of my life. I've tried everything and not everything worked. But now I think I know how to use my voice. I wasn't really trained to be a singer. I had to learn it and it took me a few albums to figure it out. But um, seeing the tremendous response around the world to wake me up and nobody knowing that it's my voice is a real um, indicator that this is where I belong. Thank you. Adam, thank you very much. Now we all know that, you know, it's him. That's his <laughs> voice on the song that we all know.
Thank you for your, for your time and your questions. Adam, thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, thank you. <laughs>